Praise the Lord. Galatians chapter number six tonight. Galatians chapter number six. And as we turn there, let's seek the Lord in prayer. We need the Lord's touch upon everything that's sung, everything that's said, everything that's expounded upon from the word of God. Galatians chapter number six, verse number nine will be our text tonight. And a burden about this thought, about this message. It's been several months since the Lord has allowed me to preach from this verse or preach from this text. This is a message God gave me last August. There's just been a handful of times. I could count maybe three times the Lord has had me preach this uh, since last August. Uh, and the Lord drew this to my attention uh, over the weekend and was just praying over this. And God said, you need to preach this tonight. And so here we are in our text of Galatians chapter number 6. we going all throughout the Word of God tonight. And uh, we're looking forward to what God has in store for us as we glean from the Word of God. May the Lord help us to all sit at the feet of Christ and draw closer to Him. May the Lord refresh us tonight renew us, reignite within us a desire to continue to go forward as the emphasis was last night, to continue, to continue. Father, use these truths. Thank you so much for the joy that we have to be able to gather together. Uh, we look forward to your word being implemented within us. I pray that you would create, create that uh, thirst and that hunger as was referenced yesterday, Lord, that we would yearn and long for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see thy power and thy glory. We ask for a fresh anointing of thy spirit. Holy Ghost of God, we desperately need you. Uh, I'm but, but an earthen vessel. Uh, the message cannot go forward by might or by strength, but I need thy spirit. And so we look to thee tonight. We're dependent entirely and solely and completely upon thee. We ask that you'll help us as we observe these things. I pray that you would transform us tonight, that you would realign our perspective, as even Pastor has mentioned, the great need for not losing focus, but having the right sort of perspective and outlook on our life. Help us to have a heavenly vision tonight as we look to thy word and at thee. We love you. Help us now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's fascinating how the pastor mentioned that in the service, and also he mentioned these things prior to the meal tonight, and we're so thankful for the provision of that, and uh, we're humbled by your generosity. And uh, But this is fascinating how this message dovetails with these principles. Notice what the Bible says in Galatians 6, 9. How many of you are familiar with this text? Would you raise your hand um, tonight? Many of us in this room, all of us in this room. It's a wonderful verse. The Bible says, and let us, notice this is teamwork. Let us, as a band of brethren, encouraging each other and strengthening each other. Of course, as we mentioned to the children uh, the other day, uh, just by way of application of a biblical truth, bear ye one another's burdens, so fulfill ye the law of Christ. We're in this thing together, amen? amen? And let us, as a body of believers, of course, having that spirit of unity, let us not be weary in well-doing. You know, last night the message was about the great need to continue. We thought about the way of culture even in correlation with the establishment of our nation. We see how America was founded, how those uh, fathers there, those forefathers desired for the word of God to be implemented into the very fabric and culture of America, and it was, and how far we've strayed. And even though evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, that's 2 Timothy 3.13, the Bible encourages and exhorts, such as is your theme this year, but continue thou. Don't quit. Don't become complacent. Don't throw in the towel and be careless. There's a job that needs to be done, and we get to be a part of it. However, the Lord has burdened my heart for us to observe things from the Word of God to realize this. If we're not careful, as we seek to stay faithful and continuing, we can become weary in this well-doing. And God is giving us this text here as an encouragement, but also as an edification to build us up. It's even an exhortation where God is seeking to point his finger in our face, and he's saying, listen, you need this. You need to understand this. Let us not be weary in the well-doing. What is he teaching? Weariness will come. The well-doing is always worth it, but the weariness will always come. It says, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Of course, we'll come back to this verse full circle here by the end of the message. We find that 
challenge at the very end if we faint not and church God wants to use you and God is looking for a church that's not going to faint but a church that's going to stay faithful a church that's not going to faint but a church that's going to be fervent a church that's not going to faint but a church that desires to produce through the spirit of God fruit that remains a church that's not going to faint individuals that are not going to faint and fall by the wayside if you will but a church that is going to fulfill every single individual every single child of God that is going to fulfill the purpose that God has for them understanding that each and every one of us are essential there's no mistake there's no whoops there's no all with God but everyone by divine design has the gift and privilege of life for such a time as this and God is no respecter of persons God does not look down from heaven and view one child, if you will, one person of greater worth or value than another. But all of us are essential in God's lineup of things, in God's work. Just because Pastor Rogers is the pastor does not mean that he has more favor with God. He is not elevated, if you will, uh, to be a starter player and then some of us sitting in the pews are third string. No, But all of us are essential. All of us are vital. All of us are needed. And God, it's so beautiful, looks down and he desires to place his hand of favor upon every single one of us. He does not commit the sin of favoritism, but he will place his hand of blessing and favor upon those who will faithfully seek and pursue his will and his work. Fascinating verse. Let us not be weary in well-doing. You know, we could take the time and really would be a whole separate message for a different time. Things that you could observe through the word of God that bring weariness. Something that brings weariness just off the bat and the word of God addresses this, fatigue brings weariness. Fatigue. That physical fatigue of just the wear and tear on things and the Bible alludes to this in 2 Corinthians chapter number four and uh, just for the sake of time, let me read it. 2 Corinthians four, the Bible says uh, in verse number 16, um, our outward man perish. And even though the outward man perishes, even though there's fatigue, mental, physical, emotional fatigue, even financial fatigue, even though our outward man perishes, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And we can get that spiritual sustenance and we can get that spiritual strength and stamina to be able to get up and go on another day. And of course, it's not something that we muster up, not something that we manufacture, not something that we manipulate, but rather it is that manifestation of God's presence and God's power, his presence within us, the indwelling Christ, and his power upon us, the anointing of the spirit. And even though we'll face fatigue, we can still be faithful. However, we must understand that we can become weary in the well-doing if we're not careful. Yes, continue. Yes, don't throw in the towel. But understand full well that God is warning us. God is warning us. You think about not only fatigue, but just how about the fight? The fight brings weariness. I don't know of anybody who's been a soldier who has been uh, fighting with a sword, let's just put it that way, and doesn't get tired after a while. We recently bought our children a sports game that we enjoy playing as a family, and there's one of those sports games is, and I don't even know the name of it, but some sort of professional sword fighting. It's, it's, not, it's not sparring or, or that thing with the little tiny sword. I forget what that's called, real thin blade. Uh, but um, anyway, it's some sort of Olympic game. I don't even know. I'm stumbling over my own words here. But anyway, it's fun. But you know what? After a few rounds, what's happening? They're getting tired. Oh, I need to take a break you know, sweating profusely. And we all know what comes with that territory with young boys, all right? But anyway, just threw you guys under the bus. But here it is, they're fighting. They're having competition and such, and folks, we're in a fight. The Bible teaches us in 2 Timothy that we are to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now that phrase in and of itself is packed. Who are you serving? Are you a soldier of Jesus Christ? What battle are you fighting? You're a soldier of Christ. Are you a good soldier? Are you worth your salt? Are you taking advantage of the rations and the encampment and doing nothing with the blessing of being on the Lord's side? There's a whole lot of preach to that. Good soldier of Jesus Christ, there's gonna be hardness. It's not gonna be easy. And God never promises the Christian life to be a bed of ease. But rather, as you study the word of God, the Christian life is not about success. 
The Christian life is all about sacrifice. It's all about surrender. It's all about service. The gospel is a bloody religion where Jesus says, go the second mile. Pick up your cross and carry it. Wow. All the things that we could discuss. Hey, present your bodies. Read it this morning in my Bible devotions, Romans chapter number 12. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Crawl upon the altar of sacrifice and let your body be slain for the cause of Christ. It's, it's a bloody religion. Hardness. Endure. One foot in front of the other. One bullet. One fiery dart. One onslaught at a time. Stay after it. But see, the fight, and all through the word of God, you can find illustration of this, and I'm not trying to manipulate the Bible, but just taking a common sense theology approach to this thing, fighting will bring weariness. So let's not waste our energy fighting one another. Let's use our energy fighting sin and fighting Satan and fighting for the souls of men. Let's exhaust ourselves for what matters and what will make a difference. Not fighting someone that you love or a brother or sister in Christ or a family member. It's not worth the time or the energy. God is not about bickering. God is all about people being unified. I am not veiling my words, encouraging compromise. God wants us to stand for truth, and I'm not advocating for us to hold hands with those who are obnoxiously and knowingly going astray from the principles and precepts of the word of God, how the Bible reasons, how can two walk together except they be agreed? And our common ground is not what our preferences are, but it's the principles of the word of God, and all of our preferences and all of our positions should always be aligned with biblical principles. The only way we can be on the same page is if we're in the same book. May the Lord help us tonight to be a people who understand that there is a fight and the fight will bring, it will bring weariness in this well-doing and the fight against sin. Uh, all ye that love the Lord, hate evil, the Bible says. Psalm 97, verse number 10, if I'm not mistaken. To fight against a corrupt culture and stand for truth and to fight against Satan. Uh, resist the devil, the Bible says. Uh, hey, to fight for the souls of men and to charge the gates of hell. It's worth it. It's well-doing. But understand, God is warning us, you can become weary in this well-doing. Fatigue, the fight, other things that could be mentioned tonight, even the fiery trials, suffering, and all of the things that come with that territory can bring weariness. You study the track record of those who have been persecuted for their faith, and there were moments in which they could have quit, but they did not quit. It was not the mountaintops where they were going to quit. Now, it's the mountaintops and in the moments of victory where, if we're not careful, we'll let the sword down, we'll let the shield go down, we'll take the helmet off, we'll derobe ourselves, if you will, and declothe ourselves from the armor of God because, oh, yes, I just came through that. Let me take a breather. The devil is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. We've got to be careful to always keep the armor on. Amen. Ephesians chapter number six. Our children just finished memorizing that passage of scripture a little while ago. Now they're working on the fruit of the spirit text and all these things. And so don't worry. They all looked at me like, Dad, are you going to have us quote it? Maybe we will march up here. No, uh, we won't embarrass you like that tonight. But we need the armor of God. It's not a suggestion list. God is trying to help us. Amen. Oh, church, to understand that there is uh, certainly a cause worth living for. It's well-doing. But we must understand God is lovingly seeking to warn us that we can become weary in this well-doing. And God is looking for a church that will not faint, that's not going to throw on the towel, but rather be fervent and be faithful, uh, bear fruit that remains and fulfill every good work, as we mentioned by the piano a little while ago. Every single thing that God has for us in the purpose of our existence as an individual and corporately as a body of Christ to engage in these things and to fulfill it. That's what God desires, but let us not be weary in this well-doing. Notice, and journey with me if you'd be so kind as we try to connect some dots here, and it's wonderful to study this throughout Scripture, that all throughout the Word of God, you'll find how that God is trying to help us to understand how to not become weary in the well-doing. 
to not faint, and to not quit. All of it revolves around the right kind of perspective and focus. Those of you that are taking notes in introduction there, I've jotted these things down on the side of my notes. Fatigue, the fight, fiery trials, a lost focus. A lost focus can bring a fainting spirit. It can bring weariness because we take our eyes off of what they should be fixated on and we become so enamored and so consumed, even then so discouraged by what we see in the temporal rather than being focused upon the eternal. And that's where we find uh, many of these things being rooted in Scripture. Would you join with me tonight? and just continuing to march forward very hastily, join with me into Hebrews chapter number 12, verse number 2. Hebrews chapter number 12, verse number 2, a wonderful passage of Scripture, a wonderful text. I encourage you to memorize this verse, very needful for the Christian life. Hebrews chapter number 12, verse number 2. Hebrews 12, verse number 2. The Bible says, looking. Looking unto who? Jesus. You realize that this is the only time in the New Testament Greek this word is used. It means looking, that's why it says it. But you know, there's different, different context of this word. The specific context of this word that's used a singular time in the entirety of the Bible, this word looking, has a specific context. I'm going to demonstrate two different ways to look. Juliana, I'm going to look at her, my three-year-old. She looked up, thought, did fear of God smote her thing. Oh, Dad, am I, am I in trouble? No, you're not in trouble. You're doing fine. But I'm going to look at her. Ready? Three, two, one. I looked at her, but it was a glance, wasn't it? Now I'm going to look at Juliana. I'm staring at her. It's not a glimpse. It's a gaze. This word looking in Hebrews 12, verse number 2 is not referring to a glance, a glimpse. It's referring to a gaze or a stare. Let me give you the specific definition. Looking into Jesus, to take my eyes off of everything and everyone else and to fix it specifically on one point or one spot. This should be my perspective. Christ and Christ only. If I'm focused upon Jesus, everything else will not matter. I love that song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this world. In all reality, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We can so easily become overwhelmed and discouraged to just turn on the news for five minutes. I don't do it. I don't even watch TV for that at all. We don't even have TV. I guess we just have some streaming things. And what I watch is cooking stuff. I like to eat, and so I like to watch people cook. It makes me hungry. But anyway, really the only thing we watch and, and, and things, there's really nothing worth watching on television. We all understand that tonight. Uh, but as uh, you look and you turn on the news and you see all that's taking place, you're just you're so overwhelmed so quickly. But if we're not looking, I'm not talking about a blind optimism. We're not talking about burying our heads in this, some sort of sand, but rather our focus is not on the temporal. Our focus is not on the circumstance. Our focus is on our Savior. It's not upon the temporal. It's upon the eternal. The Bible says, lift up your eyes under the hills. Psalm 121. That's a command. Lift up your eyes on the hills and look unto Jesus. Lift your eyes under the hills from whence cometh our help. Our help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The one who created all things, he will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He doesn't slumber, the Bible says, or sleep on the job. He's very cognizant. He is very aware of every single thing that's taking place. God even knows what's going to happen before it even happens because he knows in his omniscience every single outcome of every single crossroads and every single alternate reality, if you will, that is out there in time and space God knows it all. Just look into him. Look and live, my brother, live. Looking into Jesus, God will lead us and God will direct us. Looking into Jesus, to take our eyes off of everything and everyone else and fixate that, fixate that on one specific point or spot, looking unto Jesus. May that describe our life tonight. May this describe our testimony and our walk with God. 
looking unto Jesus. I have really no juice out of this microphone, and so I'm using my internal microphone more than I would like. Just a little bit more volume on this would be fantastic. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's a powerful verse. Now, verse number three, the Bible says, for consider him. Again, the only time in the New Testament Greek, this word is used for consider. It means to think over and ponder. Do you realize that we should never take our eyes off of Jesus? We should never take our mind off of Jesus. You realize it should be easy for us. I put that in air quotes, easy. I know it's a labor and it's difficult every single day, but it should be easy for us to constantly look to Jesus and think about Jesus. Why? Because he's constantly looking at us and thinking about us. In Psalm 119, the Bible says, Precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. You take it upon yourself, and may it be your life's mission to count every single grain of sand upon the earth. You'll die before you're done. Well, so is the equivalent of the thoughts of God toward you. Such an exponential number where God is constantly meditating upon your life and your potential and your future and your purpose. Consider him, the Bible says. Think over and ponder Christ. Notice that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. This dovetails with the Sunday morning message of not losing the wow factor and the awe of what Jesus has done for us. If we never let the story of Calvary grow old, we'll constantly have Jesus on our mind. Notice now at the end of this verse number three, it says, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. So if I don't look to Jesus and I don't think about Christ, I will be weary and I will faint. And the weariness and the fainting begins where? What's the last word of verse number three? mind. See, if the devil can get us to quit here, it's only a matter of time until we quit here and then here. There could be people in churches all across America that appear to be faithful in the well-doing, but they've already quit in their mind. And it's only going to be a matter of time until they come to a place and a point of inactivity. The devil is seeking to struggle and battle with us in the mind. We must be on guard in our mind. We must be careful of what we meditate upon and the thoughts and the intents of our heart that we have. It's so crucial. We must be careful We just read in our family devotions here today in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10 about having a readiness to revenge all disobedience, all the things that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, knowledge, the mind, bringing into captivity every thought, every single thing I think that we understand it's a spiritual warfare. Because the devil is going to do his dead set best and with intensity, are you listening? With intensity to take you down and to take me down and to take us out. And God warns us saying you can become weary in the well-doing, but one thing that will help you not become weary or faint beginning in the mind is, here it is, number one, a right view of Christ a right view of Christ. My eyes, so to speak, and my life, my mind, utterly consumed and concentrated upon Jesus. This is how we will be able to not be weary in the well-doing. This is how we will be able to continue. This is how we will not faint. Begins with a right view of Christ. Let's continue on. Much more could be said. We'll just give just thoughts here tonight and really an overview on this topic and this message, these truths. Let's go ahead and journey now to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, verse number 1, very quickly, very quickly. 
2 Corinthians 4, verse number 1. Um, and I, 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 I'm trying to streamline the message as much as I can, um, and I suppose I shouldn't, um, and things. So keep your finger here in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, and, and journey with me to Isaiah chapter number 40, very quickly, Isaiah chapter number 40. Just reading these verses by way of application of this previous point, Isaiah chapter number 40. The Bible says, notice in verse number 28, hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, in Isaiah 40, verse number 28, you can just let me read it to you, um, and just let, let these words wash over your soul. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Praise God. Even the youths, the young men shall be weary. The young men shall utterly fall, but they, they, every single person from the children in this room to the silverest of saints, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I hope that you're listening up in the balcony tonight. You understand? Let me worry about the sound. That's why I have a handheld microphone. My voice specialist five years ago said, stop preaching with a lapel and preach with a handheld. It'll save your voice. Just set the level and then you regulate your sound by using this. So let's just go ahead and focus on the message tonight. Can you do that for me? Thank you so much. I'm sorry to do that. I know it makes the service very awkward. What does this word wait mean? but they that wait upon the Lord. The word wait means, God, you have my full attention. I'm stopping everything else that I'm doing. And I'm not gonna fiddle with this and fiddle with that and try to figure things out in my life, but rather, oh God, I am going to just stand still and be still and focus. You have my full attention. They that wait upon the Lord, these are the ones where God will give the power. So that way, even though the outward man perisheth, the inward man can be renewed day by day and we can become weary in the well-doing. There's fatigue in the fight. There's fiery trials and even a lost focus if we're not careful. But as God seeks to enable us, we can experience the strength and the ability and the power supernaturally to be able to go on and to be used of God to continue and make a difference in a corrupt culture and a land in a day and age that desperately needs Jesus Christ. It can be done but with the right view of Christ of Christ now in 2nd Corinthians chapter number 4 notice what the Bible says thank you for letting us take a brief detour to observe that text in 2nd Corinthians chapter number 4 the Bible says in verse number 1 therefore seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy we faint not not only the right view of Christ, but number two, the right view of our calling. The right view of our calling. To realize, as we already mentioned, that God has a purpose for our life. This word ministry, we've given a, a definition to. Ministry means this, I believe, a divine opportunity to make an eternal impact. God has given every single one of us a ministry. A ministry. To make an eternal impact, and it's something divine. It's a privilege and an opportunity, nothing too big, nothing too small. All is important. All of it is a privilege. All of it is essential. And God looks down from the portals of glory and is thrown in heaven. And he says, yes, my child, I want to use you in this moment of human history for such a time as this. I have a calling for your life. And may the Lord help us to never lose the perspective of what our lives should always be about. Seeing we have this ministry as we, as we have received mercy, it's not us. 
We can't do it, but God seeks to do it through us, amen? He's working in us so he can work through us. Praise God for this mercy that we've received to be able to go forward and to be used of God. It's not of our own strength. It's through the person and power of God as we go forward. Thank the Lord for this privilege. But to understand, we need to see this ministry as God sees it. And when we see our calling and we see our purpose and we see our potential as God sees it in his throne in heaven, this is what will help us to be able to testify and live. We faint not. Well, we're not being weary in the well-doing. It's interesting, and you can just jot down the reference if you like, references here. In Hebrews 3, verse number one, the Bible calls the ministry a heavenly calling. Heavenly calling. David Livingston said this, if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how then can a commission by our heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? In the light of this, wow, to be able to represent a civilization or a country, to be the spokesperson for that government, liaison on some foreign territory or some foreign land, what a privilege out of all of the millions of inhabitants that I was the one chosen to represent the United States of America in this political situation. Wow, wow. David Livingston said, if that's a privilege and that is an honor, why in the world are we thinking about what God has called us to do and representing him as an ambassador for Christ as this? <sighs> Got to go soul winning, got to do this, got to blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. As we've already said, we don't have to. We need to. Beyond that, we get to. To see this ministry as God sees it, this does not have origins upon this earth. It comes from the very heart of God for you, a heavenly calling. 1 Timothy 1.12 says, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me. Or you know, God is the one who gives us the strength and opportunity. We thank Christ who's enabled us in this. For that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. None of us have a ministry. It's rather God's ministry that he has given us and it's God's working through us. We can't see anybody saved. It's God that does the saving work. It's his ministry of redemption through us. When our dear brother led this individual to Christ in the hospital, he did not save him. Jesus saved him, and he got to be a part of it. And that, uh, just mentioning him, can be replicated to each and every one of us across this room as you're faithful in the various aspects of the will and work of God. Thank the Lord. What a tremendous blessing. I see this mother in the back. I presume this is your daughter. Is that correct? Okay. Is it a, is it a relative? Granddaughter, I'm so sorry. Amen, I can't see you because of the bright lights, but take that as a compliment, amen? Very good. And God is using her to raise a godly seed. God, as a grandmother, it is a privilege as parents, my wife and I, to realize that this is not some obligation. This is an opportunity to be able to raise the next generation or a generation beyond that, the children's children, to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This is a heavenly calling, amen? This is wonderful, Heavenly calling. The Bible calls it specifically in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, a high calling. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's a high calling. The calling of God and the ministry that God has given every single one of us in reaching a lost and dying world in serving Christ as standing fast in the faith and being soldiers of the cross. And there's so many aspects concerning the work of God that we get to be a part of that it should be a high calling. It should be a cut above everything else. That nothing else is as important. Nothing else is more preeminent than what God would have us to do as we work our jobs. They're not the end of things, but rather a means to an end to fulfill an eternal calling. A high calling, what matters most is not the paycheck. We need it. A man doesn't provide for his family. He's worse than an infidel. Let's take all things in context. But my life doesn't surround itself with a paycheck. It's consumed and surrounded with a pursuit of souls and a passion for the will of God and making a difference in serving our fellow men and serving Christ, praying and asking God, Lord, inconvenience my schedule today and turn over my life like you would an apple cart in the street. Do it. You have full permission. You have control over my life. Inconvenience my schedule so I can be a blessing to someone in need. It's a high calling. 
Do we consider the work of God? You know, I wonder if Christians actually even fully comprehend what the work of God is. We use these phrases and we use these words and I'm burdened sometimes that people have no earthly clue what's being talked about. And I pray tonight that all of us, as we meditate upon these things, that we would understand that this is a noble work. It should be considered a high calling. It's a cut above everything else. Nothing else is more important and nothing else matters but what God would have us to do in our life. Engage smack dab in the center of his will. Sleeves rolled up, seeking to be used of God as we stay faithful and continue in the midst of a corrupt and crook and a perverse nation. A high calling, the Bible also discusses it and calls it a holy calling, a holy calling. In 2 Timothy 1, verse number nine, it talks about it as a holy calling, the calling of God and the ministry that God has for you as we seek to have the right view of our calling, seeing we have this ministry as we receive mercy, we faint not. In order for us to have the testimony of not fainting, we've got to see Christ, the right view of Jesus, but also the right view of our calling that this is something holy. It's sacred. As you're an influence and a testimony to your precious granddaughter, as we raise our children, Juliana being accustomed to being in church, not used to that here, but she's doing a great job tonight. Each and every one of you in wherever area and aspect you can apply this to yourself, that this should be considered something sacred. You know, if you consider it to be sacred, you're not flippant with it. You're not cavalier and careless with it. It's priceless. It's something precious that we will die for. I do not believe that we will genuinely live for God, live for his work, if we're not willing to die for Jesus and die in his work. We find that principle in the New Testament where Jesus Christ mentions it a handful of times The man who saves his life will lose it. But the man that will lose his life for my sake, and Jesus even says, for the gospel, he shall find it. You know, dying is when living truly begins. We die to self. We die so that Jesus can live in us and through us. Galatians 2.20, crucifying that flesh every single day and crucifying our ambitions and desires and goals and dreams, mortifying the deeds of the flesh and everything that we want to do, even if it's good intentions, we're going to slay it all daily dying to self. We may get more into that this week. I don't know. It just depends as the Lord leads. There's a few things that God is, 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 is searing into my soul like a branding iron upon the hide of a calf. God is urging me to preach this week. And as we preach these things, it's because God would have us to view these things and to see these things and meditate upon these things. I pray tonight that each and every one of us that we view the ministry and this work, this well-doing as a holy calling. We're not doing it because if we don't do it, the pastor's gonna be disappointed. We don't do it because, well, it's expected of us. We've been doing it for 30 years, so if I don't do it, who's gonna fill that gap? Wrong, wrong. We'll not be blessed of God. The Bible teaches us that we'll be tried of our work, of what sort it is. And even though we're engaged in a good work, in something that's worth doing and doing well, if the heart and the motive behind it and even the means in which that work is being accomplished is not godly and biblical, it will be equivalented unto wood, hay, and stubble. And I do not want my life to go up in a puff of smoke, some blaze of grief, not glory. May the Lord help us tonight to be careful. And could it be that we are adorning ourselves uh, surrounded by beautifully ornately carved wooden panels of woodwork? Someday, even though it may look nice, it's all going to go up before the Lord at the great judgment. That judgment seat of Christ in which every man's work will be tried. You will stand and give an account and so will I. May the Lord help us to be faithful. And we can be faithful 
and we can continue, and we will not faint, and we will be able to have this resolve and live this testimony and say these things with conviction and resolve if we have the right view of Christ and the right view of our calling. Would you notice as well with me in Psalm 27, Psalm 27, and these things are cascading now very quickly together, these last few points. Psalm 27, you've been so attentive tonight, trying to give you the meat of the word. I had some tri-tip before the service, and so we're now giving you tri-tip of the Bible, all right? Psalm 27, verse number 13. Psalm 27, verse number 13. A very topical message that's biblical in which God himself has ordained these principles to be sprinkled topically throughout the word of God. Psalm 27, verse number 13. The Bible says, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. A handful of chapters later in Psalm 103, Psalm 103, verse number one down to verse number five, we'll read this together. In Psalm 103, verse number one down to verse number five, we find something similar. You'll find the emphasis here, Psalm 103, verse number one down to verse number five. I'll begin to read. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. He said in Psalm 27, I would have fainted. I was about to throw on the towel. I was being weary in the well-doing. Unless I had stopped to see the goodness of God. Number one, the right view of Christ. The right view of our calling. The right view of God's kindness. The right view of God's kindness. I've never met a bitter Christian who was absolutely enthralled in the goodness of God. I've never found a Christian who was angry at God or frustrated at whatever it was that was happening in the will of God in that moment who was not in awe of God's loving kindness and tender mercies that they relished in and rejoiced in and rested upon daily. Never met one! Neither of you. But rather the people that are bitter, the people that do want to quit, the people that are backslidden, are those that have taken their eyes off of the goodness of God. I'm thankful that even when we can't see it, God is still good. Even when we can't sense it, God is still good. Even when things seem in our lives to be spiraling out of control and topsy-turvy and now the uh, down is up and up is down and all this thing, thing is like just a big mess. I'm thankful in Psalm 52, verse number one, the Bible says the goodness of God endureth continually. Oh, praise God, church, tonight that it always ever remains there available to the Christian ebbing and flowing. And even though we cannot see it or sense it, God is always good and God is only good. His thoughts toward us are only that of peace and not of evil to give us an expected end. Jeremiah 29, 11. And church, one way, in spite of the fatigue, in spite of the fight, in spite of the fiery trials, in spite of focus that seeks to be pulled thither and yon, we can have resolve and testify and live a life that exemplifies we faint not and we're not going to be weary in the well-doing. How is it possible? It's not based on us and what we can muster, but rather it's based on Christ and having that right view of him. And if we don't look and we don't consider as we ought to, Jesus and only Jesus, the Bible says we will be faint and we will be wearied in our minds and we begin to quit here. It's only a matter of time before we quit here and then out here. The devil is seeking to attack your focus of Christ. I pray that he has your full attention. Wait on the Lord. God, you have my full focus and attention. And we would not forget what God's purpose is for our life. Seeing we have this ministry, the right view of our calling, we faint not. 
to realize your life matters and God wants to use you to make an eternal impact. It should stir you and get you to get up out of the bed every single morning, bounding, so to speak, in your feet, maybe not physically, but mentally and spiritually. Man, God, I can't wait for the next opportunity and divine appointment that you have to make an eternal impact. Are you addicted to the ministry? We should. And just as an addict, we'll give up everything for that one thing. May we be willing to give up everything for that next opportunity to be used of God. The right view of God's kindness. Number four, the right view of the cause. The right view of the cause. Second Corinthians now, in chapter number four, we're back in that same passage of scripture. It's so wonderful. Let's let these verses preach for themselves tonight. Second Corinthians chapter number four. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 15, 16. Uh, it says this in first, uh, Second Corinthians four, verse number 15 and 16. It says, for all things, all things are for your sakes. That the abundant grace, the grace of God, that saving grace of God, might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. For which cause, We'll explain here briefly in just a moment. We faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. How in the world, even though they're facing fatigue and all of these things, are they able to be renewed day by day to continue on and stay faithful as was preached last night? It was the right view of the cause. Notice the cause as being described in verse number 15. The abundant grace of God. Church, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And this wellspring of grace that America is in desperate need of. Marriages and children and lost souls and politicians and people all throughout our community that need this grace of God. Notice the cause. The cause is this. The abundant grace of God being redounded to the glory of God. What does all this mean? It sounds maybe cryptic. The cause is this. The grace of God is exceeding the measure and it is overflowing the boundaries. The abundant grace of God is not staying in a reservoir, but the grace of God is being unleashed and being spread abroad all over the place in the lives and the hearts and the souls of people in our generation. And ultimately, it's not for us, but it is for his glory. Look at the cause. Every single time you serve the Lord, and you're a blessing to someone else. You're bright in the corner where God has placed you and being a testimony of grace. Every single time you pass out a gospel track, every single time you're faithful in your witness, every single time you look forward to the advantage of the opportunities to share Christ with others some way, somehow, it is unleashing the grace of God that America is in desperate need of, and it's something that is able to go forward and abound you have no idea what God will do with that gospel track, but God knows what he wants to do with it. Should we take the next 10 minutes? We won't, I say this. But should we take the next 10 minutes and tell story after story of people that we know of who have gotten saved just by a gospel track, somehow providentially coming across their path? Without human interaction of someone looking at another in the eye and passing it to them, but through a series of circumstances finding a leaflet on the ground or underneath their windshield wiper, on their vehicle? Church, God wants to use us and we have a cause. And some of us have lost focus of the cause. And that's why we're just going through the motions with this attempt to stay faithful on the surface and God is disgusted. And it's all across America. Well, I just gotta stay in this thing, you know. Are you serious? How big is your God? Can God not do a work? Yes, he can. His are not a cause, David asked the entire army, including King Saul, who stood head and shoulders above every single warrior in that camp. And someone needed to come up to them and knock some spiritual sense into them biblically. There is a cause. And when we get the right view of the cause, it'll put wind on those sails and we will not faint. Lastly tonight, we'll go back to our text We'll go back to our text. We're doing very well tonight. It's only 8.15. Going back to our text of Galatians chapter number six. Galatians chapter number six, verse number seven, down to verse number nine. Let's just stick with verse number nine for the sake of time. Galatians six, verse number nine. 
our text. Galatians 6, verse number 9. The Bible says, and let us not be weary in well-doing. Why? For in due season. I don't know when that season will be due, but I know it's going to be due at some point. And folks, we should be so yielded to God and so sold out for God that we are willing to never see the season become due. But simply we will be a pawn in God's hand and let him use us to sowing those seeds so a harvest can come. Are we willing to live for Jesus Christ to our death and never see one single result of eternity being impacted? We should be. Because after all, it is not us, but it is God. And our lives are not our own, and it's not about what you want to do or what I want to do. It's about what God wants to do through us. In due season, you shall reap if you faint not. Now, I know that God will reveal, I believe, some things unto us. I don't believe we'll see the full spectrum of what God is doing with us or through us, kind of like the illustration of an iceberg. You just see a certain percentage of it on the surface, but there's so much more underneath it. Uh, And that certainly is true, thinking about how God will take you and use you even just with a word, just with an act, how that will make a difference in someone's life. In due season, we shall reap. It didn't say might reap. Or if your name is pulled out of the hat out of a million people that are selected, you know, but rather it shall happen. In due season we shall reap. And number five, and lastly, the right view of the consequences. You live for Jesus Christ, God is going to use you. You don't live for Jesus Christ, you will not be used of God. You're not faithful, not fervent, not seeking to fulfill what God has for you. There will be no reaping. If you don't go soul winning, you're not going to see people saved. How can we live life not seeking to reach the lost and dying world? I I don't comprehend it. We say, yes, we go to an evangelistic church, but people aren't even lifting a finger to carry out the Great Commission. One single track a day, bare minimum. I pray that you've done your part even today. I pray that the preaching of God's word last night concerning this did not fall on hard ground. If it did, we need to break up the fallow ground. It's time to seek the Lord. And these things are not said at all in a harshness, but rather in a heaviness with a holy heat tonight because there's a job that needs to be done and we get to be a part of it, but are we even doing it? And thank God that we can see the consequences, the right view of it. In due season, we shall reap. Don't quit, church. Stay faithful. And even if we don't see the full spectrum of what God is doing, know that God is working behind the scenes. And I end tonight by quoting 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? For as much as you know that your labor will not be in vain in the Lord. Every single thing that's done for Christ in his will and work is never empty, pointless, hollow, good for nothing, or a waste of time. But God is using you to make a difference. As you read the word of God, these are the five things that God gives us, his children, to equip ourselves to not become weary in the well-doing. The right view of Christ the right view of the calling, the right view of God's kindness, the right view, oh church, of the cause, the right view of the consequences. We have his promise. It's a win, win, win for the believer. Then let's continue and let's not quit. It's worth it.